everyone. I hope you're really well this week. Welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me, your host, Zoe Blasky, where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. My mission with this podcast is to help you reconnect to you, to feel happier, more joyful, calmer, and more alive, whatever that looks like for you. So maybe this podcast is going to inspire you to look at your health and self-care. Maybe it's thinking about your career and making work work for you. Maybe it's looking at your relationships or your relationship with yourself and finally addressing that inner critic and making a commitment to being kinder to yourself. So I chat to all sorts of well-being experts and game changers to help you become your healthiest, happiest and most alive version of you because that is what I think is the most inspiring thing to become for our children. So before we get into this week's episode, I just wanted to tell you a little bit more about Peppy Health, who are currently sponsoring this podcast. So Peppy Health is an amazing new business that's just launched, so you might not have heard of it. It's a website that provides new parents with fully vetted, fully qualified and insured practitioners. So if you go on the site, you will see that there is everything on there that you might need help with as a parent, in particular a new parent, such as physios, lactation consultants, mental health therapists and experts. And I know that we all need a little bit of help. And that's why I'm so passionate about Peppy supporting the podcast because what they've done is they have screened and found all the best practitioners across the country and put them in one really helpful place for us. So no more 3am Googling, no more trying to figure out some, some someone's website, whether they're good, trying to figure out if the testimonials are real on someone's site. What Peppy have done is they've fully vetted and checked everyone on there. So whatever you're looking for, wherever you're at in your journey, and whatever you help you need, go on to look at Peppy Health, P-E-P-P-Y, and pop in what you're looking for, pop in your postcode, and because I've got your back, I have got you a 20% discount off your first order. So if you pop in Peppy, P-E-P-P-Y, 20, at checkout, you will get 20% off. On to this week's episode. Now, this is a special one because it is the first time that I have had a guest back. So I first had this lady, Emma Cannon, right at the start of Motherkind podcast. I think it was about 15 or 16 months ago. And there was a pretty instant connection between Emma and I. And since then, we have become pretty good friends. And Emma has been a real support to me personally through some of the fertility and conception challenges which I've been having, which I've been really open with. So when I had my first miscarriage, Emma was actually one of the first people that I called. And I'm glad I did because she is incredibly loving, kind, wise and supportive. So if you don't know Emma, I'm sure many of you will, but she is a women's health and fertility expert. She's written five best-selling books and this year she is celebrating 25 years in practice and I was just so blown away by that that I was reflecting on it that I decided to focus the whole episode really on what Emma's learnt over her 25 years of working with women, of women who are mothers and want to be mothers. So we talk about how wellness has changed 
have a really insightful discussion about whether it's wellness or whether it's illness. So Emma's perception is that a lot of what we are calling wellness today actually isn't. We talk about that. There's a lot of narcissism, particularly in the fitness industry. There's a lot of focus on the external beauty, working your body to look a certain way. For me, that's had really detrimental effects on some women's bodies. We talk about discernment and how we can take our power back with the huge amount of information that comes at us every day in our lives right now. We talk about what Emma's learnt herself across this journey of 25 years, both of her being a working parent and an absolute expert in the area of women's health. The trick is recognising it and, you know, Christmas is when I just would run myself ragged trying to make it perfect and then not enjoying myself and just thinking, well, I'm not getting back. It's inauthentic giving in a way, isn't it? We talk about her own healing journey and what she now sees as her life purpose. And of course, I ask her what is the one gift she would give to every mother. So here's the episode. I hope you really enjoy it. And as always, if you did enjoy it, please rate, review and subscribe. Emma, welcome back to the Mother Kind podcast. So nice to be back. Always love talking to you. You are the only person I would have had on twice. Oh, (laughs) really? Yeah. I'm very honoured. Well, that's because you're so amazing. Oh, well, I've got loads to say to you and I really, really enjoyed it. I always enjoy talking to you. Oh, good. Well, last time we spoke specifically about fertility and a bit about your journey. And we're going to talk about that again, because clearly that's what you're an expert in. But what I'm really excited about to chat to you is because this year is your 25 years of being in practice, isn't it? So huge congratulations. Thank you. But what I really want to focus on in this podcast in the next 40 minutes or so is your reflections over the past 25 years. There aren't many people that I can think of in the UK have been in this wellbeing world for that long. Yeah. So I can't wait to hear about your experiences. So my first question is, when you think about the last 25 years, what are some of the really big changes that you have seen in women's well-being and fertility? Well, for starters, there wasn't even a word for well-being when I started out. What was the word that people used? Well, we used to call it alternative medicine, which I've always hated that term because it implies that it's one or the other. And then we sort of moved into complementary therapies, which I think is still a different category from wellness, but it kind of incorporates wellness within it. And then wellness came. So I guess social media is one of the huge changes that has come about. Because when you started, how did you used to communicate with people? (laughs) No, it's really funny, isn't it? I'm like, Uh, was that email? (laughs) Yes. Um, No, not when you first started. I hardly ever sent an email. How did people come to me? I have no idea. (laughs) Did you do those little ads at the back of the paper? I never did any adverts. What I did was I built relationships with people I've always built relationships with and people. word of mouth because you're so yeah. amazing and word of mouth thank you and getting success so I think women were my best advocates really I did work with a doctor Tim Evans a lovely man and we created one of the first really one of the first integrated centers where medics and complementary therapies were practicing alongside one another 
And that was amazing. At the same time as that, I worked in an NHS clinic, which was called The Gateway, and it was in Brixton. And we were getting NHS referrals. And it was a brilliant way to start because it was a multi-bed clinic. So there were 10 beds in there. So in my first year of practice, I saw many, many people. And in private practice, that would take you years to build that up. So, you know, when I first started out, I was seeing 30 or 40 people a week, which most people would see three or four people a week when they first start out. So I was lucky that I got exposure to a lot of people, got to work with a lot of people. And also I've always sought out mentors to help me. And I've been lucky enough to have people that I've learned from in an unofficial way as well as an official way. So that was kind of the start of it. And the challenges that women were having with their health 25 years ago, have they remained consistent? You know, obviously, like you said, technology and the internet and modern life and pressure and stress, did that look really different 25 years ago? And how did that manifest in our bodies and our ability to create life, both for ourselves and for another human and a baby? Yeah, I think there was a lot less awareness. I mean, certainly when I started, there was even no acknowledgement that food really had any bearing on our health let alone emotions. I mean... What was it 25 years ago? It's like the low-fat movement, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. And everything was stuffed with sugar and everything like that. And women would literally, when women in their 40s would come to me, because to begin with, I was just getting people that the doctors didn't really know what to do with. So I was getting career women who were probably in their late 30s, early 40s coming to me, and they were living off a diet of Chardonnay and Haribo's. (laughs) And, you know, Haribo's because they're (laughs) low-fat. And what was the suggestion when you would say, well, let's look at your diet and your lifestyle? I actually do think people wanted it and it made sense to them. And I think people were beginning to come around to it, but it was almost giving people permission to say, actually, you know, this is worth trying and looking at the stress levels and things like that. So what I was doing with with the women is I was improving the soil of their life and I was trying to help them find ways to reduce their stress, which even then people didn't really acknowledge that stress was a problem, and ways to improve their diet and just give some regularity. And they were becoming pregnant. It's interesting the point you made around giving permission. Yeah. I think so often intuitively we know a lot of this stuff yeah don't we and that's one of the things that I know you do fantastically is reconnect women which is one of my passions you know back to that truth inside of them that they know is there yeah but back then was it different because today obviously you can google there's millions of books on these subjects how did people get the information if they suddenly got really interested for example in integrative medicine or acupuncture or you know some of the things that you were in well there's definitely nothing on the internet because it wasn't really the internet so I mean I think that it was word of mouth I think it was going to a a, you know yoga because I was lucky enough to live in Brixton so we had a lot of authentic healers there so that was one of the places that there was a, a sort of culture of it already albeit small but they were the sort of beginnings of this authentic movement so we had good yoga teachers and we had good people who were people just thought were hippies you know who were talking about food and meditation and things like that so I was exposed to it and I had gone to San Francisco after I'd been made redundant from my job in the oil business 
can't remember if we spoke about this before, but anyway, I've gone to... You used to Southern. work in oil. Yes, I know. <laughs> I don't think you said that before. I know, I used to work in the oil business and I was made redundant. Thank you, Universe, for making me redundant. It's the best thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> I cannot imagine you. I know, Did I know. you wear a suit? And shoulder pads and, you know, all of what that kind of thing. What did you do in thing. the oil business? Operations, so moving the money from one place to the other. I mean, I'm number dyslexic anyway, so that's a complete nightmare. Let's just stay here for one second. <laughs> How did I survive? How did you end up there? Because as I know you now, that is so far removed from who you are as a person. I know. What were you trying to make someone proud or did you just lose yourself and end up there? What happened? No, I came to London and my father had died when I was 16. I came to London, grief stricken, but didn't know how to grieve. And my mum thought the best thing to do would be to send me to secretarial college. Well, we did the last course using typewriters before... (laughs) computers came in so that was completely useless Useless. (laughs) I'm not only number dyslexic but I'm a bit dyslexic as well (laughs) and I just became a secretary for a very very short amount of time and I sort of mixed between doing temp jobs and doing waitressing, which I actually love. I'd rather you're be a such waitress. a people person. Yes, I'd much rather be a waitress. Than a, and actually, my waitressing stood me in good stead, I think. But I don't really know what secretarial college did. Sorry, Mum, but it was a bit of a waste of time. Anyway, I ended up in this oil business, which was hilarious because it was just full of people wearing shoulder pads. Did and, you feel like a fish out of water? Oh, concert? my God. I mean, for five years of my life, I was just drowning. I've said it many times, but I felt like a space girl that had just been dumped on Earth and abandoned. And I was just waiting for the spaceship to come and take me. I think a lot of people feel like that. Yeah, I think so. For more than five years of their life. Yeah. We could do a whole other podcast (laughs) on that. And then luckily someone introduced me to Chinese medicine. I had acupuncture and I read a book called The Web That Has No Weaver and it changed my life. And I think I was so desperate to find something else, something that made sense to me because nothing had made sense to me. And so having acupuncture helped me grieve my father. It made me realise that our emotions are not separate from our physical bodies it made me realize the effect that trauma can have and how trauma can shape the course of your life and how it's really important to look at those things in terms of our evolution as a soul and as a spirit and that's my really I mean on the outside I do what I do but really for me this is all about the evolution of the soul and the spirit you do so much more yeah so that's how you came to be in this space But just tracking back to this idea of looking back over the 25 years, with that lens of what you were talking about, you know, that really well-being, for me, it's about healing. It's about accessing our truest selves and Mm. living our most vibrant lives. That's what well-being means to me. When you look at the well-being world that we're in today, particularly with social media and there's a lot of young influences in the well-being world what's your view on it having lived through the past 25 years and seeing all these trends come and go when you look around today do you feel excited or do you feel something else mixed mixed (laughs) very mixed I think it's losing its way I think it's great that it's happened I think it's brilliant that a lot of these ideas are mainstream now I have a little check-in with myself is this wellness or illness a lot of what we see on the internet that's masquerading as wellness is actually illness there's a lot of narcissism particularly in the fitness industry there's a lot of focus on the external beauty again in the fitness industry 
working your body to look a certain way. For me, that's had really detrimental effects on some women's bodies. A, a lot of the kind of exercise we do that builds up a lot of muscle mass, a lot of the very jerky movements that the women do that maybe were more traditionally designed for men, they cause a lot of stagnation in the female body, particularly in the female reproductive organs. So I see a lot of women who work out heavily, who have painful periods, a lot of bloating, a lot of delayed periods, absent periods, things like that. I mean, I used to work with the gynecologist that represented British women's athletes. And he looked after the British women's athlete team. And he said that their gynecology is an absolute mess. You know, so most elite athletes, they do What type of fitness are you talking about? Just to be clear, you're talking about like hip spin. What yeah, I mean, it it's, it's, it's we a, need to be conscious. I mean, I think it's very individual, so it's difficult to say. But when I see someone who's where there's a lot of muscle mass, there's often a lot of stagnation. Different body types can get away with it. So some people can tone up and it'd be fine but some women's bodies are just not designed to be like that and it's the kind of pursuit to achieve something that's unachievable for your body type that can cause the dysfunction and the damage and is that what you call this illness because I'm interested in the definition between wellness and illness I guess what social media has given us is a really mass blunt tool yeah and I notice you often answer these questions with it's down to the individual and of course you can't do that with Instagram or social media is that what you mean we need to take our power back in this modern well-being world what do you mean by the wellness versus illness well I think sometimes for instance maybe this expression the bigger the front the bigger the back so sometimes the more Out there, people are being about eating healthily and, you know, eating this way and that way. It's often because they're covering a dysfunction within themselves. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that whole idea that we teach what we need to learn. Yeah. And so often the people that outwardly have this supposedly best diet actually have the worst relationship with food because there's too much emphasis on it. Food is an important part of life. But it shouldn't take up 70% of our thinking and day. It's just fuel. Yes, it can be pleasurable. Yes, it can be erotic. Yes, it can be lots of things, but it can also be really damaging. And it can also be covering a dysfunction. So very, very often, the women that come to me that say, I want a diet or my diet is perfect, they're the very ones that have the problem with it. Interesting. And there's a lot of frustration control around it. Yeah, and you talk a lot about control. control. The more out of control they feel, the more controlling they become around something. Yeah. So that's what I mean by illness. And it's not their fault, but it, often it's a cry for help. So it's like, I do all of this stuff because this stuff makes me feel good and okay. Obviously, to a certain point, that's good. But when it starts controlling you or owning you or defining you or that your self-esteem is somehow wrapped up in that, then that's not healthy anymore. So what do we then as as mothers or future mothers in this world, where as you say, there are a lot of big influences with loud voices. Yeah. Do we need to take more responsibility then about how we're consuming this? Is that would Definitely. that be your plea? Yeah, like, how just like do junk do, food. How do we do that? <laughs> well, I just think it's like junk food. I think we have to be more discerning about what we expose ourselves to. And this idea of discernment, you know, this is a central idea in Chinese medicine. It's like 
what are your powers of discernment? I would say that most people's powers of discernment are not that good anymore. They don't really have a filter. So they take in all of the information and it's like information overload. Again, in Chinese medicine, we have this idea of overnutrition and definitely we're overnutritioned at the moment. And overnutrition, be that through actual food or just living off so-called superfoods or whatever, or just constantly thinking about food. It's the same with information. You can overburden yourself and what that leads to is obsession. And that's what it's about for me now. After all of these years, there's so much noise out there. You've got to be so strong. So I'm only aligning to my purpose now. So I always check in with what's my purpose. So for example, doing this with you today, I know that we're on the same page. I know that you're going to help me get the message out there in the way that I want it to be put out there, rather than someone else who's going to impose their control over it or put it out for their own purposes or use my experience to bigger themselves. It's not, you know, it's just, there's a lot of that going on in wellness at the moment. And I'm really wary of that. I'm always checking in to make sure that it's online with my purpose. Mm. And has your purpose changed over the past 25 years? It definitely has. I think as women have changed and as women have evolved and in the last five years, I mean, there has been such a huge shift, a huge shift. And for all the things I said about wellness, of course, there is so much good that's happening. All the movements are happening, you know, the Me Too movement, all of this awareness that's coming to the surface. We are evolving. There's no doubt about it. And so my purpose now is to help couples and individuals evolve to become parents and that's very different than just giving them a diet or you know what does that mean evolve to become parents to look at the foundations of our life to look at things like trauma to look at the patterns in our families and to try not to repeat them um, to bring healing to the past those sorts of ideas and it's not a particularly popular idea but I think it's something that's going to grow and evolve because I think there's this idea that somehow then you're to blame now to quote Gabor Maté, <laughs> responsibility is different to blame. It's a very different idea. Mm-hmm. And no, you're not to blame, but you are responsible. So there's a lot of things that we can do on the road to becoming parents that will improve the way we parent. And my hope is really that we're raising the vibration of the planet in that way. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. And therapy is a space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. Therapy is just an incredible, safe non-judgmental space. I absolutely love it. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule, which I think as busy mums is what we all need. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash motherkind today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash motherkind. It's likely that we're going to have less children in the future. And I think that's probably a good thing because we're overpopulated. I think we'll be having children maybe a bit later in life when perhaps we can bring more maturity to them. And we have 
been through our own evolution and done some of this healing work. And in that way, we're passing on different qualities to those children. I mean, back in the day, in my generation, it was really all about what colour you were going to paint the nursery and, you know, what school they were going to go to. And I mean, I'm being a bit glib, but you know, it can be a bit like that for sure. But there's definitely, probably because of the people I'm attracting. You know, I like to think led by mother kind, you know. Of course. I'm in the mix, I'm in the mix. Of course. So, so that's really interesting because you became a parent 23 years yeah. ago. Yeah. And you've been in practice 25 years. Yeah. So <laughs> what I want to talk about. <laughs> they both hit the fan together. Yes. <laughs> so you were two years into your practice. You yeah. found this thing that finally lit you up. Yeah. And then you became a mother. Yeah. Tell me about that. I'd love to get your perspective as someone who's done huge things in the world, found something that you love and you stayed true to 25 years and raised your two amazing girls. Yeah. I think the audience would love to hear a bit of how you did that, your reflections, any pearls of wisdom that you can share with people <laughs> who are my age. Because I'm constantly thinking, I love motherkind. Yeah. I'd do it seven days a week, probably, if I could. Yeah. But then I absolutely adore my daughter and I'd be with her seven days a week. So I always think, am I working too much? Yeah. It's the age-old grapple. I'd love to hear your experience. In absolute truth, I muddled through. I think for quite a few years, I tried to be perfect. And What was the effect of that? Oh, gosh. I mean, a couple of car crashes, putting myself last... And you mean actual car crashes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Rushing back to pick my daughter up from school, having done a clinic up in Harley Street. A lot of people will relate to I wanted to be the one to pick her up because I thought that was the most important thing and obviously have an organic cooked, you know, meal because I was using organic even back then, (laughs) 25 years ago. And, you know, I never bought her any kind of packaged food or, you know, all of the things that people do now, I was doing then. And it was much harder then because there was no support around that. People just thought I was making life hard for myself, which I was in a way. There were lots of downsides and bad things about it and things that I definitely didn't do right and have been part of my own healing. I was going to say, well, looking back now with the evolution that I know you've been on and yeah. from an internal perspective, you know, really healing and looking at yourself, what was driving you to want to be perfect at work, perfect at home, putting yourself last, as you say? Because I know a lot of people listening will be living that way right now. It actually makes me want to cry because I think so many women feel like this and it's just not being good enough. Just thinking I'm not good enough. And I honestly, I just see that every day in clinic. I think most women feel like that. I know. How have you healed that? By being okay with not being good enough, by looking at, you know, the triggers, recognising it. And, you know, Christmas is when I just would run myself ragged trying to make it perfect and then not enjoying myself and just thinking, well, I'm not getting back. It's inauthentic giving in a way, isn't it? Because you're giving because you're trying to fill a need in yourself. Yeah. And, you know, I had those messages constantly reinforced when I was growing up. You know, I wasn't particularly good at school, so I always felt that I wasn't good enough. I think my headmistress famously said to my dad, she'll make somebody a good wife. Well, I mean, there's times when I haven't even been a good wife. So... So then I really feel like a failure. So I'm like, oh, the only thing that I was probably meant to be good at, I'm not even good at that. So, I mean, there's many, many, many layers of that. Also, my dad dying when I was 16 was really tough. My daughter turning 16 was an absolutely pivotal moment for me. And I'd been doing a lot of healing up until that point. But the day she turned 16, I sobbed for my younger self. And I finally let go of that because I was like, 
oh my god you were so young a child. you were so young and i found out my mother why am I even cry now i found out my mother and i said it's been really hard not having a dad all these years my mum, God bless her, she was a lot of things, but she is a bit of a narcissist and everything is run through her filter. Right. So it's always been about her losing... Which, of course, would make you feel not good yeah. enough. Yeah. So it's always been about her losing a husband. It was never about us losing a father, ever. And so I just became very independent. We know what happens to independent women is that they cannot receive support and help from themselves. So that has been a huge part of my... It's a coping tool, isn't it? That fierce independence... That drive for perfection yeah. is a coping tool to mask that. I mean, and I know it so well, of course, because that was me. I know. Yeah. And that's why I say, is this wellness or illness? Because of a lot of what I did in the name of I'm serving people, it was actually illness. It was actually covering up for my need to feel accepted and all Because it's hugely validating, this work. I yeah. I think if you haven't done the healing, like I can see it with mother kind you know, I'm not healed by any stretch. I no. don't know if we ever are, but I've done enough to know. I have some awareness now yeah. of when it's I'm doing something yeah. for validation and when I'm doing something, as you say, because it actually feels aligned. Yeah. So, so you spent so some years evolving. in that people-pleasing, perfectionist yeah. space. Yeah. So those are the things that were working against me. But the things that I had on my side was, although I have my very high standards for myself, I don't compare myself to other people. So I think that always saved me. And my father, although he died very young, he did instill this real sense of, you have a gift and it's your duty to find it and bring it to did the world. He? Yes, every night of my life. He, he said, said that. Yeah. And what a gift, because you did find that gift yeah. and you have brought it to the world. Yeah, and when I stay true to that, I'm Oh, I'm going to start saying healthy. that to Jessie. Yeah, so Do you say that to your girls? Yeah. So when you look back at your girls, you know, they're 23 and... And, yeah, just about now. to be 18. We just did a little ceremony oh, no, for I her. I saw her on Instagram. So, <laughs> so when you look back at how much you were working then, yeah. do you feel peace with that? Yeah, because I wasn't working a lot in the early days. Okay. I didn't work a lot in the early days. So, and I think it was very important to me, particularly when they were tiny, to really put the foundations in. So I put the foundations in really early. I wasn't on my mobile phone because, hey, we didn't have one. <laughs> I was breastfeeding and I wasn't distracted. I gave them my undivided attention. I think that's really important. I what, think like zero to three? Yes. Well, I'm two and a half. Yeah. I was going and doing bits of work. I did this thing where I had, I was working from home doing some acupuncture and I had somebody from a local college. We had no money. I had no money. Literally nothing. Because I was 27 when I had Lily. I'd given up my job in the oil business. My husband's a self-employed photographer. We lived in a tiny flat on Brixton Hill. We had zero. So I got a woman from the local I think she was doing like a nursery school teacher training and they like to place them in homes. So she would come twice a week for an afternoon. She was this lovely African woman that used to strap Lily to oh, her back. Yeah, and just sort of walk around while I did saw a couple of patients at home. So I just built the practice very slowly that way. And I think there was less expectation then on women, actually. I have to say, I think it's changed a lot. When I see women going through IVF and trying to fit IVF into their work schedule, I think it's so tough really really tough I don't know how they do it so I think there's a lot more pressure actually than in where do you think that's come from inside or outside does it come from us or is it for society or both both I think it's both 
And it's weird because I thought with an economic downturn, I thought that we might go much more back towards simple things in life, needing less, not needing to constantly be achieving. But I think because social media has happened concurrently, I think there's this enormous pressure that we put on ourselves and that is mirrored back at us. You know what I see as well is because of our sort of generational, I mean that like spanning 40 years the way that our parents were parented and they parented us. I think so many women that I see and work with, including, of course, myself, are running that not good enough tape. And that, of course, led me, led others to do the, you know, I've got to work and I've got to... yeah. And, of course, cost of living is so much higher. And I've got to look amazing as well. I've got to do all of that and I've got to look really good. I mean, how the hell do you pull all of that stuff off? I don't know. You don't. That's why anxiety and motherhood is is higher than it's ever been. And also, one of the changes I've seen in clinic, actually, which is with this generation, because, of course, I'm getting older, but my patient group stay the same. And I love that because I like a teacher I in that way. <laughs> <laughs> we could be the granny soon. But I actually love that because I love being around younger women and was with my daughter at the weekend and we had a little gathering for 18-year-olds and we were telling them what we would teach our younger self. And it was really, really beautiful. But in clinic, at the moment, what I see is a generation that don't know how to fail, that have never failed, who think not conceiving after two months is a failure who see miscarriage as a failure, whose parents never allowed them to fail. It's huge and it's a real problem. Have you let your girls fail? Oh God, yeah. I tell them fail all the time. When they do really badly, I say, brilliant, you're going to learn loads from that. And they're just like, mom, it's real, you know. My daughter said to me the other day, will you still love me if I don't get into leads? I said, I will love you, whatever. The question is, will you still love yourself? You know, I mean, you know, she, I was just like, ridiculous. Will I still love? I mean, and she even says that, and that hasn't come from me because I don't put any expectation on her in that way. I mean, obviously, I don't want them to have huge mess ups. But I think when you're a teenager, that's when you practice failing. If you can't mess up when you're a teenager and they feel they can't mess up because they're constantly scrutinized. So I, yeah, I do encourage failure. What else do you encourage in your girls? Being true to themselves, listening to the quiet voice inside of themselves. On Saturday, we were doing spiraling with our vaginas on the garden <laughs> like moving our hips in spirals like that because when they, you first said that uh, I thought you meant like with a with pen with a pen I know <laughs> so, oh, whoa, no, Emma, no, no, that no. is no, no, that's no. another level no no not with a pen I sort of try and offer them the slightly different version of what they're being exposed to all of the time so yes that but how about this did that ever create you know? a at school for example yes because Violet was the last person to get a mobile phone and she actually came home to me and said mummy even Alice Smith has a mobile phone at which point I was like okay I better give her a mobile phone how old was she then oh I can't remember now but I think she was 14 or something like that so she was definitely the last person to get a mobile phone but not in all areas I mean she had a double ear you know there's some things that I let go I pick my battles I'm not like puritanical at all it's just that there are certain things that I wanted to do my way and I didn't want her peer group to be the most influential thing in her life and that's Gabble talks about this I was just saying there's an amazing book by Gabble about that exact thing what happens is is the peer group becomes the The influence yeah exactly they become the people they want to please yeah well that's the most difficult force the foundations for that 
start a lot earlier than trying to fix it when they become teenagers. So you can't fix it. No, well, they say, right, don't yeah. they, zero to three or zero to seven. Yeah. And everything else is remedial. Yeah. Which scares the life out of me. Yeah. Because Jessie's nearly four and I'm like, sometimes I struggle to hear that and not think, have I done good enough? Job? Yeah. Am I going to be spending the rest of my parenting fixing well, just don't gem- let go. and don't let demonstrate go. perfection to her because Which I then, never have. The, and that's the bottom line, isn't it? About all of this stuff. How do we teach it to our children? We just don't demonstrate what we don't, <laughs> you know, don't demonstrate yeah, don't perfectionism. Don't be what you don't want them to become. Yeah, exactly. So if you don't want them to be people pleasing, unhappy, yeah. don't be that. Exactly. Well, it's easy to say it, as I know and you know, that healing journey is monumental. Yeah. Okay. And so- also, well, you do get you do get young adulthood is where you get to overcome your childhood. You know, yeah, we're all going to carry well, Gabble said it. it. We talked about Gabble because we're both just massive <laughs> fans. But Gabble said, yeah, we are fangirls. I am a fangirl. <laughs> Gabble said to me, it's never too late to have a happy childhood. Right. Well, and I that's know. absolutely true. Yeah. You know, at any point. And I sort of say that. People say, oh, do you think Jessie will ever need to go to therapy? And I say, God, I hope so. Yeah. I hope she does. Yeah. I guess the only difference is that I never knew any of this stuff because my parents didn't. Whereas she'll know. Yeah. She'll know about recovery meetings. She'll know if she needs those. Yeah. She'll know about therapy if she needs and those. And there won't be any shame around it. No, I just, because I go, I tell her all the time, mummy's going to a 12-step meeting tonight. Mummy's going to therapy. Mummy's... So I guess the difference is with your girls too, is that when they get in trouble, I think they would know yes. where to go and they'd know yeah. how to ask for help. And also having a value system in the family, that's what I was trying to get to. It's like... We have a value system in our family. You know, there are certain things that they know. Did you define okay. those or did, were they organic? They were organic. I never sat and wrote them down. I don't even make shopping lists, so I'm not really like that. But there are certain things that they know, like if you say you're going to do something, you do it. You don't flake at the last minute. So I think that's a very important value system in our family. You, you show up, you say what you're going to do. You don't say yes when you mean no (laughs) so really check in with yourself one of the things that I teach them is a no is a no a maybe is a no and a yes is a yes so if you're saying I'm not sure whether to do this or not and it's a maybe it's a no and that's one of the ways that I keep aligned to my purpose as well well I like the saying if it's not a hell yes it's a hell no okay fine yes the same 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 thing same thing and I say that actually to women all the time like mate when you're going for that embryo transfer I said it to a woman this morning when you go to that embryo transfer this morning during IVF you make sure that every cell in your body is saying yes Yes. and even if you have to mutter yes under your breath (laughs) and also surrender it's very powerful allow yourself to surrender and receive this right now because so often we're saying yes but actually we're saying no we're saying yeah, I want a baby, but um, no. What are the, all the notes? The notes are, I'm not really sure what it's going to do to my relationship. I'm not really sure what it's going to do to my identity. Is it going to ruin my relationship? You know, am I going to repeat the patterns that I have with my parents? You know, there are a lot of no's in there often. And that's what our body listens to. Yeah. And that was my experience, actually, with the two miscarriages that you supported me through. Yeah. Like, when I did more and more work on that, I realised, actually, there was so much fear for me about having a second baby that I hadn't dealt with yeah now who knows yes who knows it's definitely not my fault but it's my responsibility yeah to look at that and when I did created space you know did some work with you and others and some therapists 
I got and stayed pregnant. Yeah, and the emotional system and the immune system are very similar anyway. So if emotionally there's trauma or emotionally we're saying no to something, it does trigger things in the immune system that make the immune system respond in a, well, in a certain way. Now, isn't it? Yeah. A lot of gambles work. Again. Yeah. It definitely is. And also, we know that conception is a very receptive act. The woman receives the man inside her body, the egg receives the sperm, and then the body, the woman's body, has to receive the implanting embryo. So it's very receptive. But most modern women aren't very good at receiving. They're very good at putting out, but they're not very good at receiving. Does this have an impact on our immune system? I think it does. I really think it does. And look, I'm not going to say the whole of infertility is because of this and it's all up for It's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying we can change the way we look at things a little bit. And that's what I try and do. So for that woman, it was a really useful thing for her to do. Instead of going into the IVF unit in fear, thinking, is this good enough? Is the embryo good enough? Is it going to be successful? She's just lying there muttering yes under her breath and well, it's something I surrender. To, it's almost like a little meditation, isn't it? Yeah. It's something else to anger her mind to otherwise it would divert to fear yeah. so who knows you know if you know it's none of us really know do we though? no but i think when you say yes your body is flooded with endorphins dopamine serotonin all of which tell the body that it's safe they're the chemicals we produce when we have an orgasm i'm pretty sure the orgasm is there for a reason it's to help our body be flooded with these brain chemicals it helps us become more receptive mm. i think it's important so we've talked about loads this episode I've loved it <laughs> and we're coming to an end but I just want to ask you is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want to reflect on or share from the past 25 years of this amazing gift that you've been giving women oh well for starters it's such an honor to do this work it really is and when I think back, there are certain stories that come to mind and they're usually stories that represent all women. It'll be like an alchemic shift that's happened in somebody really deep, like they've healed something that went back generations. And for me, those are the stories because they speak to all of us. They change the way I live in the world. They change the way I see the world. You know, sometimes there can be a philosophical question that I'm asking myself that will manifest as a patient in my waiting room, you know, and how my practice just reflects back real life to me. So for me, the joy of the last 25 years has been watching women grow and evolve and heal and become amazing parents. And then too, and to take that journey with them, people who have really, really put the work in and and look different like they seem healed they seem more complete and I think that we always think that struggle we always think that it's, it's always a negative like when bad stuff happens to us we get really weighed down by it but sometimes out of those struggles there will be like a nugget of gold that we can find and we can find places within ourselves that we never knew were there so for me that's the joy of this work mm. is is helping people find that in themselves continually trying to find that in myself, continually trying to get the skills I need to help an ever-changing population of people with different struggles, different needs. Well, I hope we get to do this again in 25 years. Wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> I'll tell you what, wherever we are or whatever we're doing, let's try. Okay. Do it again. It's going to be so funny. What will fertility look like then? Oh, my God. What would the world look like then? Well, I think there'll be a lot more cryopreservation. It'll probably all be you know. AI, won't it? They'll be like... 
Gosh, yeah. who knows? That would be interesting who to, knows? to mull over that for a few hours. Who knows? I'll be in my spaceship, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be with you. Yeah. So the last question, which, as you know, I ask everyone. Oh, I forget. Which yeah. is, if you could give just one gift to all the mothers in the world, what would it be and why? I think being good enough. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. So that's it. Thank you for listening to the episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. And if you did, please do leave a review on iTunes. It does make a massive difference to the number of mums that we can reach with this content. If you were listening to that episode, thinking about one of your friends that they might benefit from what we were chatting about, then just tag them in on Instagram. My bio will include the link to the podcast so they can find it really easily from there. People often tell me they're desperate to share it with their friends. So if that's you, then please do. I feel like the guests that we have on the podcast, their wisdom just deserves to be heard far and wide. So help me make that happen. I'd be very grateful. And also, if you want to send me any comments or thoughts about the episode, then please pop over onto Instagram at motherkind underscore Zoe. And also just to let you know about my coaching. So I do work one-on-one with mums on my program, which is a three-month program called Reconnect to You. So if you want to work with me on taking your power back in any area of your life, then please do get in touch. Just drop me an email, zoe at motherkind.co or look on the website, www.motherkind.co. That's it. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Take care.